Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 of Advice Around the World. We're Ian Horn and Amelia Garland from CityWire and we're here to talk about the brilliant people and the stories that help to make financial planning such a varied and useful profession. And this week, I am up at 6am, Ian's payback time, <laughs> as we take the podcast back to Australia to speak with Leah Schodel of Mindful Wealth. Now, I will try to get through everything Leah does day to day, but it may go over our usual intro time. After years of working in financial services, Leah quit her job as a financial planner to become a full-time money coach. Leah's business, Mindful Wealth, focuses on educating and motivating people to create a healthier relationship with money. She is a financial educator, well-being advocate, yoga practitioner, and her broad range of clients reflect her innovative work. Now, without further ado, Leah Schodel. Welcome to Advice Around the World. So we've given you, I think, our longest introduction ever. Um, but now, now that we've done that, you've got to take part in a, an Advice Around the World tradition, but you've got to do it without referencing anything that we've just said about you, which is, which is tricky. So, so Leah, I want you to imagine that you're at a dinner party and the person next to you has asked, you know, asked you to tell you something, tell, or tell them something interesting about yourself something that we wouldn't know and something different. So Leah, what would you say about yourself? Mm, I've lived in five different countries. Okay, cool. Which different countries have you lived in? I was born in New Zealand, raised in Australia, uh, moved to Japan, moved back to Australia, lived in London in the UK, moved to the US and lived in Canada. Oh, cool. Wow. Okay, so so um, is that just what, what kind of made you travel so much? Is it just kind of circumstance, or is it a kind of conscious lifestyle decision to, to kind of see the world? Definitely, earlier it was uh, circumstance, and then as I got interested in travel, I first moved overseas when I was fifteen, and then that kind of started my interest in travel and that freedom kind of lifestyle, that global nomad kind of lifestyle. Cool. And what, which uh, country was your favourite to live in? Oh, that's a good question. And why was it England? And why was it England? No, I would say Australia. I'm back here now, so I think this is <laughs> It's the favourite. It's the winner. Could you quickly um, you know, explain what is the difference, um, in your opinion, between coaching and financial advice? Mm. There is quite a difference in my opinion. I've got quite a long record of being a financial advisor and whilst I was very much strategic and problem solving based, it was about getting the right fit for the clients to help them achieve their goals and offering them a solution to support them along that way. Coaching to me is a little bit more interactive. It's very much um, goal based as well, but it is also diving deeper into the psychology of someone's relationship with money. So really exploring what's going on underneath the surface and why they may not be hitting those goals or reaching those targets that they're trying to achieve. Okay. Um, so you, you were a financial planner before you did money coaching, right? So, so what made you personally make the decision to, you know, to switch, switch roles really? What made you stop being a financial planner? I really felt that I was only ever helping them to a certain level. Um, so whilst I was supporting people with a, a plan or a strategy, I was seeing some of them not achieving the goals that they were setting. And I felt that there's got to be more to it than, than what I was offering. And that kind of sparked my interest. It's kind of that 
the knowing doing gap that really interested me. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's quite intriguing. So what are the things that people, you know, usually do that stop them from achieving what they want to achieve? What are the typical kind of behaviors that you have to try and coach out of people? It's really interesting because a lot of it is self, like subconscious, and um, people aren't even really aware of it. So it's an unconscious level. I mean, people might have an idea that they've got these self-sabotaging habits, but often they're driven by things that they're not even aware of. So my role is to help them uncover a lot of what's going on, whether it's a fear of failure or fear of success, which then means that they self-sabotage, or perhaps it's overspending or under-earning or completely... Um, sort of yeah self-sabotaging and limiting themselves which is what i see mostly okay. and how do you coach people out of that it's you know the self-sabotaging ways the fear-based approach um you know what are some strategies that have really worked it's really interesting because what what often happens is once you create the awareness and people can start to see the habits and the behaviors that they're actually doing, like you bring it up to the surface, people become aware of it, and then they start to see that there's an alternative. And once you offer that alternative and then keep them accountable, you can really help support them to make change. It's gradual change because we're looking at habit change and habit and behavior change can take a long time because often we've got a whole lifetime of it going on. So we've got to slowly unpick what's not working and then the client actually comes up with the solution because that's the difference between coaching and advice. In advice, you're offering your advice to the client as a way of going forward. Here's the best strategy. This is what I recommend. Versus when you're coaching a client, you're saying to them, what do you think is something that you could do to move forward or pass this behavior? So they actually come up with the strategy. It's almost that we recognize that they are the experts in their own lives and then I'm there to help get them over that line, help them be the best version of themselves that they can be. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So, I mean, it seems to me that a lot of, you know, the behavior you're targeting is stuff that people will have carried through from childhood and so on. Um, mm-hmm. Is it, you know, is it, is it right to consider this in a similar vein to kind of financial counseling or therapy or is that going too far? It has aspects of it. It definitely draws on that. However, I'm not a therapist or a counsellor and I work, but I do work alongside someone's therapist or counsellor if they have them. Um, My work is more to say, where are you now? Where have you been? Because that basically informs how we got to where we are today. But more importantly, where do you want to go and what's going to hold you back from that? So then that I get you through that point from A to B. Mm -hmm. And just more broadly on your clients, Leah, you have, you have clients in Perth, Bali, and Portland all over the world. <laughs> what have you noticed in how kind of different nationalities think about money? We're not all that dissimilar. We're actually quite similar in a lot of ways. Um, my work is predominantly with women and predominantly with self-employed women. And I do notice quite a, a theme of undervaluing, undercharging, um, fear of actually really stepping into their power or their financial independence, essentially. So my role is to really be their biggest encourager and and get them to step into taking complete control of their personal and business finances and then seeing how that unlocks in the rest of their lives because ultimately that usually has a snowball effect and they can go leaps and bounds pretty quickly after. I find that really interesting, Leah, because, you know, in, in the UK, certainly, we, we think talking about finance or money is kind of taboo. 
uh, you know, people don't like to do it. People aren't comfortable discussing money. But, but do you find, you know, does that not factor in at all? Or you, know, you did say that it seems fairly common, the same approach across different countries. Do you, do you pick up on anything at all that seems different between nations? I think it's more openly discussed in, in different nations for sure, but I, I do feel that it's, it's globally taboo to talk about money. Everybody is equally as uncomfortable. However, if you put women in a, in a room and then give them the opportunity in a safe space to talk about money, then that once they're given that container, that opportunity, then it can be really mm-hmm. it, uh, hard to shut them up, mm-hmm. essentially, because yeah. it's, it's the opportunity that they've been waiting for. Um, in terms of culturally, I guess I do see some differences between who manages money in relationships and how confident that is um, and whether that's able or allowed to, be, to happen. I also see um, stigmas around inheriting money and also being the money manager um, and also a lot of interesting situations with, with divorce as well and, and separation from relationships between different countries. Okay. Um, I guess to look at the uh, kind of personal side of it now, we noticed on your, your website, there's a link for philosophy. Uh, and on that, you talk about, uh, you know, in, in your words, finding your flow with money. Uh, so, you know, to me, that's new. Uh, what does that really mean? And how does someone find their flow? Finding your flow to me means that sweet spot. You know, when you have the, the right skill set, the right attitude, and you have the right environment, that's that's what flow is all about. That's when flow is conducive, when things run smoothly, when things happen, uh, when we can make the most of our resources and we can move forward. So the analogy came from the yoga mat. I am a yoga teacher and I have studied wellness, but the concept of being in flow and movement is when you've got rhythm and momentum and, and you've got the right skills and, and yeah, can, can make the best of the environment. So I thought, well, what if we could apply that to our finances? What if we could find our flow in our financial situation and, and really f- make things work to the best of our ability? Okay. Um, could you give an example of, of like a time you've helped a client find that? I mean, obviously without giving too much personal information, but, but how, do you, how do you get someone on that path? Mm-hmm. When you look at the pillars of a relationship with money and you consider um, someone standing in the middle of that circle, for example, and, and how they relate to how they spend money, how they earn money, how they give money, how they grow it, how they nurture it, how they protect it. And you help them find balance in each of those areas so that they have a good understanding of what works personally for them, what their boundaries are, what the parameters are. That's when someone can find flow because then they can start to understand how to use this resource that we call money and time uh, effectively to be able to then achieve the results that they're looking to achieve. So I know that's kind of a, a bit of a broader way of answering that question, but it's individual for every single person. And what I find really interesting is that a lot of people haven't ever stopped to actually consider what their definitions are of wealth or financial freedom or financial independence, what those definitions are for them personally. And once we start to actually break that down and get them to define what are their values, what does financial success look like for you, how much is enough, we start to talk about those, those concepts and we put them into almost like a framework for this person to start working towards. That's when they start to find their flow because they've kind of got the sheet to say, well, this is my parameters around how I interact with money and wealth and this is how I should be showing up in the world. And 
it makes it a lot easier for them to start making decisions about how to use money, when to use money, what to invest in, what to spend in. Um, it kind of just gives them a guidebook, which a lot of us don't have. Mm-hmm. Keeping on your, your website, there are also some questions on dis- discovering your money archetype. Now, could you explain a bit more about that, what it means and how identifying it can help or has helped with your coaching process? Yeah, absolutely. It's part of my favourite work. Um, It is loosely based on um, Carl Jung's modern psychology around archetypes, but it's been adapted by Deborah Price in the US around how it applies directly to your relationship with money. So there are eight archetypes around money and they're not our personality, but they're just our core patterning and our core behaviours for how we show up in different situations with money. And when I get people to complete that, it's almost like giving me a really good look underneath the surface, underneath the bonnet to say what's going on that they may not even be aware of. But immediately it will tell me whether someone is um, not looking at their finances or whether someone is very, very frugal with their money or someone who is fearful about money or extremely giving and spontaneous and unplanned with their money. So it gives me a really good insight into the surface and underneath the surface for what's going on for someone. And is that a quiz that they take or um, how do you, how do you start that identification process? Absolutely. So it is a quiz to begin with, and that's the first level of self-reflection. And depending on how aware someone is, it will be fairly accurate. I would say 90% accurate. And then as a process, we go through another couple of exercises as a coaching exercise to uncover what's actually going on and to get a more accurate reading from the So the quiz, the quiz is the starting point. And then you, the quiz then you is go, the starting point. You go deeper there. It's, and it's interesting just more on the coaching theme. I mean, Ian and I have talked about this loads throughout this podcast and just, and just together about what we've seen in the U S and the UK and during this time, there's been a real uptick, especially um, in the states of advisory firms, really trying to scale their practice to add in these coaching services to focus more on behavioral finance. Um, in your opinion, why is coaching you know, more, more important than ever now? I think it's been the missing link for some time. I think it is such a complementary profession alongside advisors and planners because they work hand in hand. For me, I feel like an advisor or a planner is setting the long-term strategic vision with the client to say, this is, this is where we're heading. This is how we're going to get there. The coach is the one that says, okay, I'm going to be with you to make sure we stay on track, to make sure that if we veer off the path, we get back on pretty quickly so that we don't derail that plan. So the coach is a little bit more of a day-to-day kind of um, support system versus the advisor, which is more of your long-term strategic partner in my mind. So, I mean, a handful of UK firms work with money coaches as well. Uh, I can think of a few. Um, but, but what works best from your perspective? You know, what kind of planning or advice firms do you operate best with? I definitely think that it works well with most planning and advice firms. I feel like it's just often misunderstood. There's still such a um, sort of a misunderstanding about what coaches do and where that line stops with advisors. Um, and I think ultimately vice versa as well. I think for me, it's about working with an advisor or a planner as a, 
as a team. We're part of the client's team and we need to communicate really well together so that we are getting the information and supporting the client as much as possible. So where it works really well with, with me, for example, is I might see a client and we do the groundwork around what's showing up for them, what's their vision, what does wealth mean to them, what are some of their limiting behaviours and beliefs around money. Um, and then we uncover that and I can then provide that with the archetypal stuff to the advisor so they have this full blueprint for the client before they even go and set a strategy or set a plan. They know what the roadblocks are going to be. They know what issues have come up in the past and they know what truly is important to the client. And yes, some advisors do do that, but not all of them. So this is sort of um, a great role for an advice practice where they might not get to that level of detail with their clients um, generally or on a normal basis. Mm -hmm. And do you think that advisors generally kind of understand the value that you add or do you have to explain it to people quite a lot? Because the way I'm thinking of it, and Amelia, you, you can probably give better detail on the US market, but in the UK certainly, you know, there are some great financial planners out there. But a lot of them are from a kind of culture, especially the older guys, uh, of sales. They've kind of come from selling certain products to becoming planners. Um, mm. you know, and then you kind of think of things like coaching and you're talking about yoga and mindfulness and stuff like that. Now, that's a whole different world. So do, do you find that people are ready for your message or do you have to kind of win people around to it? I definitely find that people are ready. Um, you know, I look at it as that I've built a business on based on my principles and I feel that I don't have to be the coach for every single client. I'm the coach for the right clients and, and work with the right advisors who get my message who I don't have to explain to. Mm -hmm. Where the yoga and mindfulness comes in is, is more from a well-being perspective because we know that money is a leading cause of stress and stress is the leading cause of relationship breakdown. So... By applying wellness principles and mindfulness principles into talking about money, helping people cope with money, it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, when I first came up with the concept here you know, in 2014, it was probably a little bit before its time, but definitely the concepts of mindfulness and financial stress management um, these days is a lot more mainstream, I believe. And what is the, the main difference between being the certified money coach versus a wellness coach, as you mentioned? So wellness coach is more looking at behaviours and attitudes around stress management in general. So it may be stress management through relationships, communication, um, food or exercise patterns as well. Um, but it's still looking at self-sabotaging behaviours or habits and limiting mm. beliefs. So there's that kind of overlap there. With a certified money coach background, it's more looking at your relationship purely to money. And it's looking at what are the beliefs and the blocks and limitations with respect to what you inherited from the past, from your parents and upbringing, but also what you've developed as an adult and child um, to get you to where you are today. So it's more of a, a coaching practice that looks more at the emotional relationship with money versus wellness coaching, which is looking more at behaviours and habits. Okay, so for a, for a financial planner who perhaps doesn't want to go fully into coaching or hasn't got a coach to work with yet, are there three or four questions, maybe not three or four, but one or two questions that you think every planner would do well to ask their clients about their relationship with money? Absolutely. Um, gosh, if I only have to bring it down to just a few. Um, <laughs> I always like to ask my clients, um, what does money represent to you? 
uh, or what does money mean to you, depending on which one is more comfortable for them. Um, and that helps me get a little bit more of a sense of what's driving. It might be security or freedom, and it's quite a basic uh, question, but it, it can uncover a lot depending on what they answer. Um, what were some of their early childhood memories around money? That can be a really interesting one around um, not enough or scarcity or how they value money in relationships as well. Um, and also whether they are driven by money or motivated by money. That can be quite an interesting um, flag in that question often. Um, I always, I, I, I'm always interested to know too, if they were to win money or to inherit a lot of money, what would they buy? What would they do? If they could name 10 things that they would do, what would that be? Because that's a real insight into the values uh, and what's driving them as well. Um, hmm. Yeah, no, those are great questions. Um, and, and actually, you know, looking at the flip side of it, I don't mean to be completely miserable here, but I can imagine that coaching is easy when things are going well. And maybe coaching is possibly an easier conversation if someone, I know it's a hypothetical situation, but if someone had won the lottery or something, that's probably quite easy. But I can imagine coaching is also useful for if you're without money temporarily. I mean, especially a time like now where the economy is not great for a lot of people. Um, you know, so, so how do you coach people that are having a, a bad time of it? It's a really good question. And coaching is valuable at any time because coaching's concept is to help people be the best version. And even if they're doing well already, it's to help them get to an even better space if that's where they want to get. If they're not doing so well right now, then it's the motivation. How do you keep motivating someone? And to do that, you really need to know what their key drivers are, what's really important to them what's motivating them, what's, what's those stress points, what's those trigger points, and then you have to help motivate them through those tough times to, to keep going when they feel like giving up, essentially, or it's all too hard. Um, it's, it's quite often one of the things I always say, it's never just about the money. <laughs> and money's not complicated, we're complicated. It's our thoughts, our behaviours, our habits that make mo that makes money more complicated than it really is. So a lot of coaching is actually just about looking at a person's emotions and traits and behaviours and coaching that, not specifically the money. It can be really interesting. Mm -hmm. And do you think you learn more about a person when they're going through their those bad times um, versus you know when things things are great and you know the economy's booming, is it more in depth when you learn about kind of when how they react to these these tough situations and how they handle their money during those periods? It can definitely be an eye-opening experience to see how someone faces challenge and how resilient they are because um, that's they either see it as a challenge or as there's a problem essentially. So I'm always trying to encourage and motivate people to see that things are challenges and not problems and face that with to seeing it as a growth opportunity and a learning opportunity. And that can be hard to motivate and hard to coach, but it can also have the most transformation and the most growth, definitely. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so Leah, this has been really fascinating, but we're, we're running along on time. Uh, and we've got to ask you our final question. Uh, we ask this one to everyone who comes on advice around the world. So this is your parting shot, if you will. Um, so, so what, Leah, is the one piece of advice you would offer to, to financial planners across the world? Ask more questions. Ask more questions of your clients um, rather than telling them. I think ask. They, they have a lot more wisdom than we realise.
Okay, that is a good point. Yeah, um, and it's will. funny. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, the amount of meetings I've had with people where they always say, you know, you've got two ears and one mouth. Use them in that ratio, and then they yeah. proceed to talk at me for forty-five minutes. But <laughs> <laughs> part, part of the job. Yeah, they they say they say talk or sorry, listen for seventy, talk thirty, and then they they talk. I think ninety and, and listen for ten. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you have to find the ratio. <laughs> Leah, thank you so much for joining us for Advice Around the World. And to everyone listening in, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, And stay tuned for our next episode where Ian and I are heading to Canada.